0: Hopefully, you have your Bibles and if you will turn with me to the fifth chapter of the book of Isaiah, um, one of the things as we start that I just want to uh, I just want to uh, put forward, and that is is that um, I want to make sure that as we um, begin to have some services and we're having two services and Um, This is the service that is broadcast uh, live. I I want you to know that um, the many, many, many of you, uh, the majority of you, the majority of our church that are choosing to watch this from home, that we love you and we care for you, and that, um, as I have tried to stress in other ways and in other avenues, that um, being here on Sunday mornings in the midst of this pandemic is not a testament to your faith. And uh, so um, I, I hope and pray you don't, uh, feel that way, I also just want to mark that um, one of the reasons that I am glad that I am not on Facebook is that uh, apparently um, this pandemic has brought out the worst in us uh, on Facebook and opinions and, and infighting and so j- just to let you know that um, as a church, um, your staff, your pastors um, are we don't have strong opinions on one side or the other of this we just want to seek uh, to do what's right and to love the Lord and to love one another. And so, um, if you're choosing to, to stay home during this time, we love you. If you're choosing to be here, we love you. And uh, we, we want to pray that we treat each other with that kind of love and respect. Now, uh, Isaiah chapter 5, and you may be thinking, Lewis, what in the world? We're in 1 Peter, and um, as... As I have been, in my personal Bible study, reading through the Bible, uh, on a Bible reading plan, um, a couple of weeks ago I was in Isaiah chapter 5, and this passage that we're going to look at this morning just struck me. And just really felt led to the first week that we actually had more people than the seven of us who have been consistent over the past month, the essential kind of people here, uh, that I wanted to, to look at this passage and bring out a couple of things. Um, I, I'm doing that knowing that as the governor has said that we can kind of open things up a little bit and as things are loosening, knowing that we have no idea what the next week, two weeks, month, months ahead uh, hold. We have, we have no idea. Uh, it could be that um, in two months from now that uh, the authorities and uh, the, the physicians are all telling us that, hey, things are way better and we're having vacation Bible school. It could be that uh, in... A matter of weeks that we're closing things back up. We just don't know. However, however, I have just felt led as this time of quarantine is is seems to be loosening um, to, to to preach this message uh, to you. And so, a, a little bit into kind of what was going on has gone on over the past couple of weeks in my own heart and in my own mind, other than growing a beard. Um, has been that this time of quarantine in many ways has, has, has slowed me down. Uh, the, the, not necessarily in the work here at the church. We have been very busy, actually. Um, it, it's some weeks busier than, than we've been. But, you know, what used to be filled with uh, running across town to pick kids up from school functions, uh, uh, going to sporting events, sporting practices, uh, different meetings... Um, just running, running, running till like 9 o'clock at night and then uh, falling asleep in my chair um, has been replaced by a lot of times now when I get home at 5 or 6 in the evening, I'm home. And that some things have slowed down. Um, the time with my family, our, our devotional times seem to have been just more enriching and, and deeper. Um, my time in God's Word since the pace of life has slowed a little bit, has just, it's just been good. And the main thing that I think has been striking at the core of who I am is just maybe more of an awareness that things are slower of God and His work. Just taking the time to stop and to reflect that God is in control. God's in control of this pandemic. God's in control of the, the facets of the, as I go about my day and go about my Life, You know, this pandemic has brought with it some chaos, and some of you have felt this chaos way more uh, than I have. Uh, for many, uh, this, this pandemic has meant that financially that things have been unstable at times. Certainly, um, this pandemic has not brought us together politically, but really is kind of dividing us more and more apart. Geopolitically, it seems like that as we look across the world... Uh, that instead of um, coming together to fight a common cause, it's, it's, things are splitting and things are fracturing. And so one of the things that has just rang true again in my devotions and in my quiet times, and as I've been reading through the Psalms as well, that in, in the Psalms, in many different places, with many different situations, the psalmist will write things like this. Take refuge in the Lord find refuge in the Lord. And so, no matter if, if the psalmist is praising the goodness of God and His many blessings that he has given and he says, rejoice in the Lord for the Lord has, has blessed you with all things. Or whether the psalmist is, is hiding out from his enemies somewhere in a, in a cave, that the psalmist continues to come back to find refuge in the Lord. He hears those that are in trouble. That he helps those. He helps those who love Him. He rejoices over those who love Him. And He gives to those who are in need. The point, the point of what I'm saying, and I think the point, one of the many points of the Bible, is that our God is the sovereign God of all, and He is omnipresent. He is always there. He is always working. And so the problem becomes when we don't feel that He's near or when we get troubled and at times, and what we're going to talk about today is that in times of plenty, that many times, many times as human beings, we become unaware of God's presence in and about our lives. And so for me, for me, one of the things that this pandemic has done is that it has really helped strip some idols away from me. Some of the things that I may have been dependent upon to fill my time or to scratch some kind of itch you know, of making myself feel better about myself, a lot of those things have gone away. And, and that's been a good thing. There are way less distractions in my life and all the excuses for things like um, leading my family nightly in a devotion, they're gone. We're sitting around the table together every night. And this has been a really good thing. So today, today we're going to jump into uh, Isaiah chapter 5 in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to see that Isaiah, as he's writing, this is an Old Testament uh, warning of an uh, of judgment that is coming, and I want to be clear about something at the outset. Okay, and I'll say this a couple times this morning, but I want to be clear: um, as Americans or as New Testament Christians, we are not Israel. So this book was written to a specific people at a specific time with a specific problem. You understand? <laughs> There are some pastors that get on rampages who misinterpret these things and go on some pretty crazy, um, pretty crazy journeys. And we're not going to do that this morning, hopefully. It is the second service, so who knows what will happen. But hopefully not. But the key, as we look at the book of Isaiah, and as we look at chapter 5 in the book of Isaiah, the key that I want you to see is, I want you to see some things about God and I want you to see some things about humanity and human nature um, that I think are going to be very, very relatable to us. So as we jump into this book, Isaiah the prophet, and he is prophesying to Judah, and he is prophesying about the judgment of God to come. And ultimately what will happen is that uh, Babylonia will come in and it will take God's people uh, from their land captive. And uh, we see this uh, this past summer, we were looking in the book of Daniel, and this was the result of the judgment of God. Now, now what we have to remember at this time of this writing, the people of God were in the promised land. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that God chose a people for himself. Uh, These people were uh, uh, in uh, captivity in Egypt. God brought them out of captivity and took them into the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. And, and during this particular time, there were two things that were happening. Number one, we see uh, God's people in the Old Testament constantly turned from Him and did the things that they were not supposed to do. So there was constantly a state of rebellion against God, things would get better. But, but the rebellion you know, never really went away totally. It also, in this day and time, we know from reading chapter 6 that uh, King Uzziah uh, has just passed away. And, and King Uzziah uh, was king over, um, over Judah for 52 years. And during his time as king, uh, there was relative peace. They enjoyed geopolitical stability. Uh, they were keeping their enemies uh, at bay. Uh, and because of all of that, this was a time of great prosperity. And yet, and yet, what we see as we look at this book is that the people of God, instead of being thankful to God and celebrating what God has done and celebrating being in the land that God has promised, they turned away. And they turned away to idols and they turned away to things uh, that God, that angered God. Now, if we were to go back, and we will go back into, to the book of Deuteronomy, uh, some of these, the beginning of this, these verses will be familiar to you. And I want you to hear the warning that God was giving His people before they entered into the land. So just here as I read, and I'm going to read a large uh, chunk here, so uh, j- just listen. These are the words which I am commanding you today and that shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them on a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on the gates. These are the verses that we're very familiar with. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to you and your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Notice this, church. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God. And you shall worship Him and swear by His name. And you shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you and He will wipe you off the face of the earth. And you shall not put The Lord your God to test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimony and his statutes which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord and it may be well with you that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give your father. And so we see this warning that Moses gives as they are about to enter into the land. And he is telling them, this land is good. And there are going to be great things in this land. But be aware. Do not forsake the Lord your God. And what we find when we look at the book of Isaiah, and particularly as we look at this chapter, we see the people of God have done the very thing that He has warned them not to do. He has warned them not to do. Now, as we look at this chapter, um, this chapter is divided into two parts. The first seven verses are a song or a parable. And the second uh, half are six woes. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the song, we're going to look at the parable, and then we're going to look at one of the woes, and then we're going to uh, see how I think it applies to us. And so... As we get into this song, um, what you see at the end, and I'm going to go, going to go ahead and read verse 7 to you. It's, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So when it talks about the vineyard, it's talking about the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Okay? So what we're going to see is that the vineyard is the house of Israel. And when we, as we begin, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Let me sing now, for my well beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard the beloved in the text here is god and so isaiah is saying let me sing now well for my sing now for my well beloved a song for my god his vineyard a well beloved that the vineyard on a fertile hill now what we know and if you were to uh, go to israel today uh, that in the hills Uh, There are vineyards. There are still vineyards today. I just saw pictures a couple of weeks ago of some of the vineyards in Israel. These are very fertile places that are very good for growing grapes. And so what we see, and what, what I want you to notice, is there's a fertile hill, and then in the next couple of verses, Isaiah is very clear to tell us what God has done and what God has provided for His people. Let's listen to this. He dug it all around. He dug it all around. He removed its stones. Uh, In Israel, it's known as a very stony place. In fact, there's some mythology that says that when the uh, God or the person who was distributing stones on the face of the earth that He dropped um, more than He was supposed to on the hills uh, here in Israel. And so this was a, a task of removing all of its stones. He planted it. Notice this. Notice this. He planted it with the choicest vine. So the ground is good. The vine is good. Not only did He do this, but He built a tower in the middle of it. He built this tower for protection in the middle of this vineyard. He also hewed out a wine bat in it. He expected it to produce good grapes. And notice the turn here. But it produced only worthless ones. Now, one of the things, and we could spend a lot of time here, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but one of the things that we see, that God and His people, that He gave them many things. Not only did He give them the land. Not only did He uh, uh, give them strength. Not only did He go and fight for them. But He also did things to protect them. Like He gave them His covenant. He gave them His Word. And He told them that if you will keep My commandments things will go well for you. He gave them the playbook. He set it up perfectly. He has given them everything that they need. And yet, and yet, what we see here in the text is that what He expected was for there to be good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And then notice the next verse. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than what I have done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? What God is saying, notice that it turns from Isaiah speaking to God speaking and God is saying to his people judge judge have i not been good to you have i not given you everything that you need to prosper and so when you judge the easy conclusion to come to is that god is not at fault for the rotten grapes it's the men of judah who are responsible for the rotten grapes And so then, God goes into a judgment here. The judgment. So now, let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it to waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is a house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold a cry of distress. So we see that the Lord is going to bring judgment upon His beloved people. And brothers and sisters, what I want you to know is that judgment... Although it seems bad to us, there is mercy in judgment. There is mercy in judgment and there is mercy here. One of the things we know that you should know that God says about His people, His chosen people Israel, is that the covenant that He had with them was that through them the nations of the world were going to be blessed. And the problem was that if God just allowed them to continue like they were going to continue, the nations would not be blessed because they would be consumed because they would go away and worship other idols and flee from God. So as God brings judgment, the thing that happens is that there becomes a remnant of men and women who stand faithful for God. And through this remnant, God works His mighty plan. So judgment... Judgment is mercy. Judgment is God protecting His people from total destruction. So, as He's saying that judgment is coming upon My people, He then goes into what we call the woe section. And there's six of these. And like I said, we're only going to go into one. And, and the word woe here uh, means Judgment. So you could kind of say judgment upon you. Uh, Another way to look at it is that the word is the opposite of blessing. So instead of blessing to you, woe to you. One commentator put it this way, that when you look at these woes, you see it it marks uh, how Judah had trampled on the grace of God. And that's really true when you go in and you look at these woes. So let's look at verses 11 and 12. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. Their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp, by tambourine, by flute and by wine, but they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the work of His hands. Now, Many commentators wrongly interpret these verses as what? Being anti-beer or anti-wine. That's not what the writer is saying. The point of this woe, the point of this woe is found at the end of verse 12. They do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the work of his hands. And so what the writer is saying, what Isaiah is saying here is that instead of celebrating God and His goodness, instead of playing music and drinking and eating for the goodness of God because of how good God had been to them, instead of doing that, the people of Judah had been carried away by the passions of the world and had so delved into pleasure and pleasure-seeking, that they were abandoning the God who deserves all worship and all praise to whom all our festivities, all our rejoicing should go, Instead instead of doing that, they desire and pursue things of this world. What a sad, sad state of affairs. These people were not controlled or motivated by the goodness of God. They were being controlled and motivated by idols. And the idols of pleasure so much so that when they wake up in the morning, they're pursuing drink. When they go to bed in the evening, they're pursuing drink and they're pursuing festivities. And they're abandoning God. Their life is marked By the pursuit of pleasure in this world. And it is a tragedy to think. A tragedy to think. That God's people, God's people would abandon Him seeking joy under the false assumption that we can find true joy. Or find a different reason to celebrate other than that the God of the universe loves us and cares for us. As I have said many times, we should be the most celebratory people in the world for the right reasons. And it is, it is a shame that we find here in this text that these people, on going after things of this world, have abandoned, abandoned God. That they've missed it. That they are blinded to the goodness of God. And they are on their way to destroying themselves by pursuing worldliness. Now, notice this. Notice this. In verse 13 and 14, we have the coming judgment, and we have specifically uh, God saying a word to them. And I want you to notice something here. Therefore, my people go into exile for their lack of knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Do you see the irony? The pursuit of drink, the pursuit of drink, and the pursuit of drink, and God says, my judgment is coming, and their multitude will be parched with thirst. And then in verse 14, therefore for Sheol has enlarged its throat and opened its mouth without measure, and Jerusalem's splendor, her multitude, her den of revelry, and the jubilant within her descended into it. Uh, one commentator put it this way, that the eaters are going to be eaten. The judgment of God on these people. Now, be encouraged. God never leaves his people. God never leaves his people. And so, one of the things, if you, and it's all over the book of Isaiah, I'm just going to point out a couple. But if we were to continue to read through Isaiah, we would get to chapter 7, and we would read this. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call His name Emmanuel. And then in chapter 9, look at verse 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on His shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of His government or His peace. On the throne of David over and over His kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness, from then on forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And again, in chapter 11, and I'll just read a couple of verses, and we could continue on. Uh, for the rest of the morning looking at this in this book. But in chapter 11, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of God, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor. So think about this this doom, this destruction, this judgment, but God never leaves His people. Watch this. Is there any accident as we read our Savior's words? And this just fills me with a lot of emotions. As we read our Savior's words, when Jesus is speaking in John chapter 15, Do you think it's any accident that he uses this language? I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they're burned. But if you abide in me, And My words abide in you. Ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be My disciples. Just as My Father has loved Me, I have also loved you. Abide in My love. If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that My joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That God, in His dealing with His people, is sending one. One is coming. A Son, a Savior. And this Son, when He arrives on the earth and He is about to be betrayed, He says, I am the vine. Look. Again, we see this in, in some ways as well in Mark chapter 12. Do you remember this parable? And when you see Jesus speaking this parable after you have read Isaiah 5, notice the similarities and you should ask, well, what in the world is going on here? And hopefully I will tell you. In, in chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus is speaking and he began to speak in parables. And now notice the religious people uh, were around. And uh, he is speaking to them. And he says this. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower. Sound familiar? And rented it out to the vine growers and went on a journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him, they beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent another slave, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and that one they killed, and so with many others, beating some and killing others. He had no more to send. He had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read the Scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone? This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. And notice the response from these religious leaders. These men of Israel and Judah, who were these religious leaders who didn't see Jesus for who He was. They were seeking to seize Him. And yet they feared the people for they understood that He spoke a parable against them. What we see as we look at this text in Isaiah and we look here in the New Testament that this hope that is laid out for us, for the new covenant people, this hope that is laid out for us, Jesus, as He is the vine and we are the branches, we see that if we reject Him, we are rejecting God. But there are also some other warnings in the New Testament that carry this same theme with it. And I want to look at just a couple of those quickly in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 20. This is to the church. Therefore, be careful as, as you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making, notice this, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So, so, in other words, Paul is saying, don't get caught up in things of this world. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. What Paul is not saying is that it's wrong to partake of wine. What he is saying is don't be intoxicated by wine or the things of this world, because it will control you, Christian. And it has the power to lure you away from the things of God. In the book that we are studying, going through the book of 1 Peter, I'm going to jump forward and I want you to see this same theme in the book of 1 Peter in chapter 4, verses 7-11. through The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Notice that. Of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And then again in chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to destroy, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So what's interesting here, what's interesting here, is that we have in the book of Isaiah a warning to the people of Judah and we have a judgment, and we have God securing that His covenant will stand; that His that the nations will be blessed through this Israel. And as the nations are blessed, and we see the fulfillment of Jesus coming in the New Testament, and we see as Jesus is is, is fulfilling this, and and the church is formed, we see the biblical writers telling us this same thing: Be careful. Don't be lured away. And brothers and sisters, one of the things that is so interesting to me (laughs) is that when when God is speaking through His prophet, and it says He dug it all around, verse 2, and removed its stone, and He planted it with the choicest vine that the church of God has been planted with the choicest vine. Vine, which is Jesus Christ, our Savior. So be careful how you walk. Church, I want you to realize, and I just want to say uh, just a couple of things, and we, again, we could expound on this forever, but I want to just lay out a couple of things that God has given the church. That God has given the church. God has given the church His Son. And that through His Son, our sins are forgiven. He has made full atonement for our sins. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And He also serves to us as an example of how to live a godly life. And He is our advocate with the Father. God has also given us His very Word And in His Word we learn about what godliness is, what truth is, and we hear from His speech and we have revelation that speaks to our heart because He's also given us the Holy Spirit which abides in us and illuminates this Word and helps us to become more and more like His Son by convicting us and guiding us into godliness. And He's also given us one another And as He's given us one another, He's given each of us gifts that we are to use for the edification and the building up of the church. He has also given us a promise that He has come and that He will come again. And this is what draws us back into where we are in 1 Peter. This promise that this world is not our home. We are aliens, exiles, and strangers. And so therefore, be sober. Be aware that God is in and among us and that God is at work in and among us. And so my conviction, and one of the things that I am thankful for during this time of COVID-19 is that God is using this, hopefully, if we're paying attention and if we're aware and if we're sober and if we're alert and if we're looking, that God is using this pandemic to graciously... And mercifully call us back to Him. And He is bidding us to see Him for who He is. Now, sadly, sadly, when I read the book of Isaiah, and when I read the first part of Isaiah, I see so many parallels between what, the writer, what Isaiah says about um, Judah, as, as I see with the church that we live in a time in America, the American church of prosperity and blessing, and we are really set up for success. But sadly, sadly, what I see many times in many churches is that instead of worship, we're craving entertainment. Instead of focus on God and His mission to, for, for us to know Christ and to make Him known, that there's a tendency for the church in America to be building its own kingdom so that the church is known, the individual group of people is known, not Christ in His kingdom. And so the million dollar question that you should be asking, that I'm skirting around, is COVID-19 a judgment from God? And if you have been here for a while you know how I'm going to answer this question. No and yes. (laughs) It's not a judgment from God in a typical biblical sense, meaning God and His judgments, as we look through the Bible, and as we look in Isaiah, where we have been this morning, we see Isaiah the prophet coming with a specific word for a specific person and saying, if you don't do this, this is going to happen to you, and then it happens. COVID-19, there's nowhere in our Bible that God says, hey, in 2020, if my people fall away, I'm sending COVID-19. We don't see that in the Bible, right? So this is not, as as I heard in between services, like some of the uh, preachers you might see on TV, a punishment for the West Coast and the uh, uh, the right coast, right? This, This is not what's going on. However... However, God is jealous that we don't waste this pandemic. God is jealous that we understand and learn things from what we're going through. God is jealous that we understand that as as we are going through this and some of our idols as Christians have been purged, that we don't turn back. I do think God wants us to refocus. And the danger that we face and that I am jealous that doesn't happen with me and that doesn't happen with you is that if things get better, which we don't know, but if things get better, that we don't slide right back into being intoxicated by the world and the things of this world. That we don't forget this day. We don't forget that God is with us and is walking with us and that we have a purpose and that we have a, a plan for our lives. You see, what this pandemic does is it reminds us that this world is not our home. It reminds us that this world is not our home. And I, I hope that one of the things that has happened to you is that there has been a longing in your heart of a, of a time when there will be no such thing as disease. My heart breaks for people at um, health care facilities like Alexian who who can't get out. I and mean, My heart breaks for that. My heart does long for a day when there will be no such thing as Republican and Democrat. We do realize that doesn't happen in heaven, right? Only independence. No, just teasing. We long for that day. Would it, this pandemic also should remind us and serve as a reminder of our smallness. Would you have thought... Would you have thought if I would have said to you eight months ago, five months ago, hey, there's going to be this little virus that goes around and it cripples our world. And the thought that should come to your head is that God, like this, can bring all things to a halt. We should be reminded of that because when we're reminded of that, we're aware of God and His workings and we become about His Business. It should reorient us in this world now. So here's the here's the end. There there are just five things that I want us to remember quickly, and and I want us to remember this. um, You know, my hope and heart is that things get better and that things begin to loosen and things get better and there aren't any more deaths and that we're able to continue to open up as a as a country. But whether it gets better or whether it gets worse, I I am jealous that we keep this focus. Five things. Number one, we must filter or interpret our world from the ultimate reality of God and His work. Another way of saying this is that our worldview must be God-centered. So when we look at the world, the spectacles in which we're looking at the world must be through the lens of God and His purposes. Number two, we must guard against any person or thing that would tempt us to abandon a radically God-centered vision of all things. We must be so in love with our God and so committed to who He is and so aware of His presence that anything or person that would tempt us to abandon a radically God-centered vision, that we are willing to cut it off. Third. Third. In this fight, this fight is a daily fight, and, and in our world, in living in this world, there is a natural drift. The book of Hebrews says, be careful unless you drift. And the idea that's here is that life is a river. And that we are in a boat and the river is moving and if we are not moving forward focused on what we need to be focused on working towards this that there's no such thing as standing still. We're either moving forward or we're drifting into the world and it's, it's, it's lure of us. Fourthly, fourthly, we must know and celebrate Christ's death burial, and resurrection because it has given us a path to hope and a new vision. And lastly, because of this, because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we must know where our nourishment comes from and we must abide in Him and we must celebrate that this is the best place that we can be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for Your goodness and for Your kindness in sending Your Son. God, we are amazed that we are part of Your family. We are amazed that You would consider us as sons and daughters. God, I pray that as we look at the book of Isaiah and we look at how Your people forsook Your Word, forsook Your promise, forsook Your love, forsook Your mercy... God, it's it's my prayer that we would look at this pandemic and be reminded, be reminded of how awesome that you are. And that we would find safety and comfort and joy in you, not of the things of this world. God, we love you. We thank you for your son. It's in his name that we pray.